Romans chapter 12 as we continue our study in the book of Romans. One of the most popular searched topics on the web is this question, what is love? All right, now don't raise your hand if like, hey, I just did that this week, okay? All right, people want to know, what is love? How do you experience it? It is the most thought about, sung about, wrote about, pursuit in the human experience. And yet, it's oftentimes misunderstood, and it is one painful endeavor. What is love, and how do you really love from the heart? That's really one of the most important questions of life. And FYI, Valentine's Day is just rolling around the corner here. It happens this week. should be a good idea if we actually knew, how do you really love? What does that really look like? How do you live a life of love? I mean, there is just something about genuine, authentic commitment from the heart expressed to another that touches the deepest longing in our humanity. And yet it seems to be as elusive as holding water in your hands. So how do you do that? I mean, I'd just like to ask you, imagine if we really could do this completely. How much better our relationships would be like in our homes, in the church, in our community, our neighborhood, at work, if we could really love people from the heart? That is why Romans chapter 12, verse 9, is so critically important. You might want to underline it or certainly put a mark by it, because you're going to find a key insight as to how we live a life of love. Let's look at it. Romans chapter 12, verse 9, says, Let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, and cling to what is good. So if you've been following as we've been making our way through the book of Romans, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says this, that God literally wants to transform us from the inside out. He says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, I want you to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice which is pleasing to God, and which is your spiritual service of worship. Your life is to be an expression of worship. And then he says in verse 2, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. Literally, God wants to express his life through your life. And it starts with the internal working of God bringing about transformation of our hearts and our minds. And as we've been making our way through Romans chapter 12, the section right before this deals with what subject? Spiritual gifts and how we need one another in the body of Christ. And you can think of it this way. Love is like the circulatory system in your body. That's how we're meant to function well. But how is it that we are to love? Well, verse 9 gives us great insight. He says, let love be without hypocrisy. That word love uh, comes from the Greek word agapao. It is the highest New Testament virtue. It is a love of commitment of the will. It is a love that involves sacrifice. It is a love that brings uh, a generous concern, even a delight in another. And he says, I want you to love like this. I'll tell you this, that the most accurate indicator of of the spiritual health of any church is the degree that this kind of love is flowing through our lives and being expressed to one another. 
And notice how he qualifies it. He says, let love be without hypocrisy. Let love be anupokritos. It has the idea of unhypocritical. We get our word hypocrite from this word. What is a hypocrite? A hypocrite is someone that's, you know, playing a role, but they're, that's not really them. And that's actually what the Greeks would call their actors. Okay? They're movie stars, although they didn't have movies. They had theater stars. They were called hypocrites. All right? And that was meaning that they played a role, but that's, that's not really them. They would wear these masks. And, and this might be information for you, but the people that you see on TV and at the movies, guess what? That's not really them. They're, they're playing a role. Like, really? No, that's exactly right. They, you, they want you to think that that's how they're like, but that's not really who they are. They've studied up, and they're really good at taking on another persona. And so he says, our love is to be genuine. No mass. I want you real. I want love to be anupokritos, without hypocrisy. Now, when you hear the word hypocrisy, uh, we need to talk about that for a minute. It has the idea that your love would come from a motive to deceive. And what he's saying is, I don't want any deceit in this. And we need to discuss hypocrisy because uh, when, especially as evangelical Christians, we think hypocrisy is any disparity between actions and feelings. And so if we don't feel like it, then we shouldn't do it because that would be hypocrisy. So let me just run some scenarios what this kind of looks like. For instance, like, ah, you wake up, I don't really feel like singing praise songs to God this morning. I don't feel like it, so I won't do it, right? I don't want to be a hypocrite. Or I don't feel like giving generously to the Lord's work. I mean, that's a sizable chunk of money. Look what I could do with all that money. Uh, I, I, I won't. I don't feel like repenting of my sins. I mean, I'm not really that bothered by it. I don't feel like forgiving, and so we don't. And we kind of think in our mind, like, well, I'd be hypocritical if I, I did that because I don't feel that fully. Is that hypocrisy when you do something and all your feelings aren't with it? No, actually, another word for that might be maturity. Do you know who operates on a feeling-only basis? You know? Your kids do. Children, right? What they feel like is what they do. An adult learns that I may not have my heart fully in it, but I know this is the course that I'm supposed to do. Now, I tell you this because you need to know that God wants us to genuinely, from the heart, really love people. But this is going to be a challenge. To love sincerely will pose its difficulties, but the hypocrite, I want you to understand, is someone who has a public veneer of virtue, but it's really meant to disguise the rot of private vice. Hypocrisy has the idea that you're deceitful and dishonest in your thoughts and your actions. When you are nice or kind, it's to manipulate or to get something that you want. And so we're, to call, we're called to love with sincerity. We're to called to be genuine. Let me tell you what this looks like in a, in a church setting. We're all nice and kind on the outside. Hi, nice to see you. But inside, man, you are tearing that person upside down, right? Or worse yet, you're like, ah. And then you go and you talk to your friend and you rip that person. Can you believe there she is? And you just tear them up. You gossip about them. You say bad things about them. 
You've got a spirit of backbiting. You're prejudiced. Friends, we're supposed to be genuine. How in the world are we to see sincere love really flow from our lives? We've got to talk about this. Because there is a lot hanging on this. If you can't answer that question and do it, your relationships are shallow. You got a lot of brokenness. You got a lot of destruction in your path. Our church will not be what it is supposed to be if we can't understand this and apply it. So how do we see it? Well, I'm going to use that word see as an acronym. And I want you to just give you an overview of this. If you want to see sincere love flow from your life, you need to know that it is sourced in our relationship with God and His love. It is to be experienced, E, experienced in our personal lives, learning to live whole. And the final E is to be expressed in our relationships with others. We're loving others. So let's talk about this ongoing process. How do we really see sincere love flowing from our lives? First of all, you need to understand that it is sourced in our relationship with God and His love. You might want to write this down. The secret to loving well is knowing God's love well. The secret to loving well is knowing God's love well. You see, when we become Christians, what happens is we start encountering and believing God's immense love for us as demonstrated in Christ. To the point that Christ literally dies for us. He is the atonement for our sins. He pays the penalty for our sins, but he does so to demonstrate his love and to reconcile us to himself so that we know his love. If you're not a Christian, you don't know anything about this kind of love. You don't know about the love of God and how deep it is. And God desperately wants you to know his heart. He wants you to trust in his son. He wants you to thrive and to do so in the context of this kind of love. And so believing in the gospel is to believe in Christ and is to start to come to terms that God loves me unconditionally. So much does he value me that he actually unites me with his son. And so what we do when we spend time reading the word, uh, maybe you call it a quiet time or daily devotion time, when you come to church, when you're just still before God, when you're meditating upon scriptures, this is meant to have an effect on your life where you are like washed over with the word, with his love for you. Spending time in the Bible isn't like just kind of glancing at the sports page, like, yeah, man, that's, that's nice, whatever. No, it's, it's God speaking to your heart, telling you, I love you. So much is love to be rooted in our life. Not only God tells us about it in the scripture and even in our experiences, but God has literally given us his Holy Spirit. He's invested his spirit in our lives that the, the fruit of love literally will come from him. Remember the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22? First, first one. Anybody happen to know what it is? Love, right? Where does it come from? God. Like 1 John four nineteen says this. We love because he, what? First loved us. We, when we come to terms with his love, his love is our source of hope, help, healing. If you need help, you need hope. You know where it's found? It's found in focusing and drawing it from the love of God. That's why we think about the cross. We think about Jesus. We think about the resurrection. Why? Because we're once again renewed with this amazing, unfathomable love. Now, most of us, you know what? We intellectually, we got that. 
We read our Bibles. Genesis through Revelation is really the theme of God's great redemption, all based in what? His love. We've got that. Here's the problem. That is not necessarily our experience in our personal lives. And so you need to remember, if you're going to love sincerely, it is sourced in God's love. But E, God wants you to experience it personally. In our personal lives, he wants us to live whole. See, the problem exists is that we circumvent the experience phase in our spiritual development. We, we like it like this, like, okay, God instills love, and we bypass us, and it's immediately expressed, and it's perfect, and it's wonderful. Because we don't want to deal with the issues of our life, like our emotions and our motives, so we bypass it, and we think that it's going to work that way, and I've got news for you. It will not work that way. God really wants to bring redemption of all of you, including your heart, the issues, the pain, the problems. Our problem is that we have learned to live life with a disconnected spirituality. And and I'll tell you, this is a painful way to live. A good buddy of mine, we went to seminary together, very sharp fella. Ten years ago, he blew up his life. And as I walked through this experience with him and, and all the healing... Uh, I'll give you just an excerpt of one of the things he wrote. Ten years ago, there was a disconnect in me, spiritually, emotionally, and relationally. I was surrounded by life, but not living fully in it. And Chip Dodd calls this disconnect between a person's heart and their head the longest 18 inches on the earth. This disconnect. You see, God desires that we live whole that we're engaging our heart and our mind, and we're interacting with Christ and His Word. We're wrestling through our emotions and our motives. And if we don't, it's going to have a devastating effect in our lives personally and in how we relate to others. You need to understand that emotional health and spiritual maturity are directly tied together. Now, there's some real reasons why we avoid this altogether. I'll, I'll give you the obstacle. I will tell you why it is so quiet in here right now. Because we get on a huge vein. Because some of us have gotten really good to just avoid this topic altogether. And our lives show it. Let me give you some of the obstacles. Reasons why we don't engage at a heart level. We're hurt. We've got resentment. Loneliness. Sadness. Anger. Broken relationships. Fear. Shame. Guilt. Insecurities. Depression, lack of margins, unforgiveness. And what happens is these are deep issues, painful issues in our life. And so instead of seeing God even bring redemption and healing and hope in these kind of hurts, we just avoid them. And the idea of sincere love, it, it sounds like a nice idea. It's, it's kind of like... We could just bypass this. We could just let love be without hypocrisy and keep moving in the book of Romans. But I'll tell you this. If you don't get this, then the rest of the Romans really doesn't come true in your life. Because you haven't learned how to love with all sincerity. So what God seeks to do is he wants us to experience this in our personal lives. And even the text in 12.9 tells us some significant factors of this becoming a reality. 
For emotionally mature people, look what he says, let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil. The idea is that you detest it. You hate evil. Here's a big problem. We actually don't hate evil. Did you know that God hates evil? God hates anything that prevents you from experiencing Christ-likeness. we got this precious moment's view of God. We're like, look, God doesn't hate anything. It's just all about love and big eyes, right? No. Actually, God hates anything that keeps you from knowing the love of Christ. Anything that is causing breakdown in his creation, he hates it. He doesn't just dislike it. He's not just tolerating it. He hates it. And he's going to address it. And he has done so through Christ. And he will finish his work in Christ's second coming. But he is seeking for us to have the same attitude that he does. So some of the evils that we need to hate are like idolatry. Anything that you put in the place of God, that's an idol. When you love his blessings more than God himself, that's actually an evil. Substitutes for God. Using people, not seeing people as made in the image of God. Try this on. Next time you're walking around the store, view people and just like, hey, that person's made in the image of God. They're in the image of God. They have real issues and hurt in their life. A big problem in our country is racism. And I'll tell you one of the major factors why. You know why? We don't see people made in the image of God. Oftentimes we see people as it. What can you do for me? What are you producing? Are you affecting my life adversely? Let me give you some other evils that we need to hate. Wrong thinking. Wrong thinking about ourselves. Like, I'm a mistake, or I'm worthless, or I'm not allowed to make mistakes. Wrong thinking about God. Wrong thinking about others. Negative influences. Media messages. Erroneous teaching like legalism. Why? What what are you feeding your soul? Just look at your viewing habits on the web, on TV. What's coming in? That can have a seriously adverse effect in your life if it's evil. I wouldn't cozy up with it. I wouldn't say, well, I just need to be real familiar with the culture, like I'm drinking this stuff all the time. There's got to be a point where you actually get active with your spiritual life and say, no, this is not good stuff, and I'm not going to do it. Other evils, like unholy behavior or destructive relationship. See, all these have a negative effect in our life. And what God wants us to understand is it's in the context of relationship with Christ through his word, his spirit, that we are literally growing. We abhor what is evil. And he also says what in verse 9? We are to cling to what is good. This is the word that has the idea of uniting, attaching. It was used like to cement something together or to glue it together. We actively pursue to glue our lives to the things that are well, like Philippians 4, 8, whatever is good, noble, excellent. Anything worthy of praise, if you can find it. And there's so much out there like that. Guess what? You focus, you glue it to your life. You're like, fill my life with this, truth, Christ, hope, love, the good things. Anything, if it's anything worthy of praise, man, you want to put your life in that. You keep dwelling on that. You cling to it. Peter Scazzaro, in his book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, he drives this point home. Emotional health and spiritual maturity are inseparable. It is not possible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. You see, emotional health and spiritual maturity, they're directly tied together. They're meant to be integrated. And here's the tragedy. we got a lot of folks, nice Christian people, and then you read their Bible, they show up at church, 
sing songs. In fact, it seems like the spiritual aspect of their life, it's going pretty good. The problem is this. They have never interfaced with these deep issues in their heart. They are trying to circumvent the process of really experiencing this kind of love. And so, far from living the beautiful life, they're living the spiritually divorced life from emotional health. And it has serious consequences. Let me give you some examples. A guy by the name of Jay, uh, he writes, I was a Christian for 22 years. But instead of being a 22-year-old Christian, I was a one-year-old Christian 22 times. Okay? All right? I just kept doing the same things over and over and over again. Or Angela. Uh, she left her church for five years. When asked privately by her pastor, hey, Angela, what is going on? She said this. Why is it that so many Christians make such lousy human beings? You know why? Because we haven't let Romans 12, 9 have its full effect. We aren't boring either. We aren't playing the good. And perhaps we need to learn more about sincere love. So let me just tell you what this looks like. Instead of avoiding your emotions and isolating yourself, acknowledge them and address them before God. Let me just tell you what normal, healthy, emotional, spiritual life looks like. Lord, I'm feeling this. Why? Why am I feeling this anger or resentment or whatever it is, bitterness? Lord, what is going on in my heart? How do you want me to respond? Lord, would you guide me in this? Because this isn't right. I need help. Will you help me to grow? He wants this level of interaction and interfacing. And he will help you. I mean, you're not going to like, I don't like some of the answers like why I'm feeling this. Because you're selfish. Ugh, right? Why, I, this is a huge issue in my life. Why can't it just be my way? That would be so much better, right? I know I'm alone in this. But, friends, God wants you to interface and interact. He wants you to experience healing and wholeness at a deep level in your life. So how do you grow in experiencing sincere love? Well, take some personal time with God. Study scriptures. Be quiet before God. Believe the truth. See your time with God as a time to meet with Him. Discipleship is an intentional relationship that helps a person mature in their walk with God. If you are not involved with a Christian that's a little bit more mature than you, you are missing a major aspect of how to grow as a Christian. Jesus said, I want you to make disciples of all the nations. Boy, someone like that could be so beneficial. You need to seek them out and ask them. Let me give you another way how to grow and experience some sincere love. Being in a Bible study group. Ladies Bible study, man to man, fellowship family. Do you know the way we, we present this and really encourage you to be in a small group? Because you and I grow in the context of community. We need each other. And it's a way to grow and to be challenged. Now let me give you something else. Counseling. There may be some issue that you're hung up on and you can't seem to get past. Or there may be something that you're significantly broken in you. If you have a broken arm, do you go to the doctor or do you not? Oh, compound fracture, but it'll get better. Does anybody think that way? If you do, come talk to me afterwards, okay? Because that is a miserable way to live. If there is something seriously broken, or you're just hung up on something, there are trained professionals that can help you experience wholeness. You might want to seek them out. Remember our maturity tree? 
those two questions at the back of that pamphlet. Lord, what does maturity in Christ look like in this situation or in this relationship? And the second question is, Lord, would you give me the grace, desire, and strength to do just that? What does it look like, Lord? Can I get a picture of you handling the situation differently or better? God, would you help me to make that a reality? You see, when we learn that we are loving well, we learn that, indeed, this is the essence of true spirituality. And the outcome of learning to love is living whole, living well, really living. Now, I'll tell you that a lot of folks, they're going to avoid this. What we're talking about now, they're like, oh, my goodness. This is like a huge issue in my life. I, I, I don't really want to deal with these things. And it's, I want you to know something. It's obvious that your interior world is not in order. And God wants to step in. He has not only rescued your soul, He wants to bring healing and hope to your heart. And He can. Will you let Him? And so we find that when we come to this text, God wants to do just that. So if you want to see love sincerely expressed from your life, know that it is sourced in our relationship with God and His love. He wants us to experience it in our lives as we work through our emotions and our motives. But finally, that second D, he wants it expressed in our relationships with others. That we're loving others sincerely, genuinely, with our actions, our attitudes, and our words. He wants us to come alive, to be conduits of his love. And if you want to know, well, what does that really look like? It is the rest of the book of Romans. That is why if Romans is really going to take root and have the full benefit of our life, we have to understand this verse and see it become a growing reality in our lives. We're loving others. We're accepting them. We're engaging them. There was an early church father by the guy by the name of Arenas, and he said this, The glory of God is a human being fully alive. Ooh, that's good. The glory of God is a human being fully alive. That's what he wants for all of us. Fully alive in Christ. Seems that's what Jesus wants as well. Remember on occasions, this is recorded in the Gospel of Matthew as well as in Mark, uh, there was a scribe who came up, heard Jesus arguing and discussing these truths with people, and he recognized that, wow, Jesus has really good answers to life. Never heard, seen or heard anything like this before. And so he approached him, and he asked Jesus, what it commandment is the foremost of all. Jesus, could you just help me understand what's the foremost commandment? And Jesus said this. The foremost is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one Lord. In Hebrew, one, Echad, is a compound oneness, a plurality, speaking of the triune nature of God. He is a plural, one God. And then he said this. And you shall love your Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. To love Him fully. To know fully His love. But it's as if Jesus said, and there's another question that you're not asking me, that's so very apparent that you need to be asking me. And so I will just tell you. I said, and the second, it's like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Not only are you experiencing and know the love of God, 
I want that carried through where you're actually loving your neighbor as yourself. You see, how it works is it's we're loving God, and we're experiencing that. And through that, then, we're living whole, and that gets expressed to how we love others. We hear those verses, and we go, uh, yeah, we're supposed to love God, and we're supposed to love others. But did you know how he qualified it? You're to love your neighbor as how? As, anybody know? As yourself. How does that work? Do you actually really have dignity? What's really going on in your heart? How how are you really going to love others or even love God well if you despise yourself? If you haven't dealt with these interior issues? If If you despise yourself and you're then supposed to call to love your neighbor like you love yourself... Those are going to be some pretty miserable relationships, right? You see, friends, there's, there's not supposed to be this huge disconnect between what's going on in our heart and how we express it through our lives. God wants us an integrated whole. Now, Peter Scazzaro, that same guy that wrote Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, uh, where he said emotional health and spiritual maturity are inseparable, in his book, he goes on to actually describe emotional development. And I'm just going to ask if we can be big boys and big girls and not point fingers or elbow anyone as I read through these, okay? All right, can we all agree on that? This will become very clear as I start working through this, okay? And because you might find, like, we're all works in progress, starting with me. But he describes emotional infants. They look for others to take care of them. They have great difficulty entering into the world of others. They're driven by need for instant gratification. They use others as objects to meet their needs. Then he says, you know, you can progress to then emotional children. And really the church is filled with younger sons and daughters who, as soon as God doesn't work just the way they expect, they're abandoned. Right? And they become angry and bitter. And so he describes emotional children. They're content and happy as long as they receive what they want. They unravel quickly from stress, disappointments, and trials. They interpret disagreements as personal offenses. They're easily hurt. They complain, withdraw, manipulate, take revenge, become sarcastic when they don't get their way. And they have great difficulty calmly discussing their needs and wants in a mature, loving way. Then he goes on to describe emotional adolescence. They tend to often be defensive. They are threatened and alarmed by criticism. They keep score of what they give so they can ask for something later in return. They deal with conflict poorly, often blaming and appeasing, going to a third party, pouting or ignoring the issue entirely. They become preoccupied with themselves. They have great difficulty truly listening to another person's pain, disappointments, or needs. And they are critical and judgmental. But then he goes on to describe emotional adults. And I'll just tell you this. People are desperately looking for believers who can embrace them, who are able to love, to empathize, to be present, who can forgive. And so he described these emotional adults. They're able to ask for what they need, want, or prefer clearly, directly, and honestly. They recognize, manage, and take responsibility for their own thoughts and feelings. They can, when under stress, state their own beliefs and values without becoming adversarial. They respect others without having to change them. 
they give people room to make mistakes and not be perfect. They appreciate people for who they are, the good, the bad, and the ugly, not for what they give back. They accurately assess their own limits, strengths, and weaknesses, and are able to freely discuss them with others. They are deeply in tune with their own emotional world and are able to enter into the feelings, needs, and concerns of others without losing themselves. And they have the capacity to resolve conflict maturely and negotiate solutions that consider the perspective of others. Friends, that's maturity. Do you know what Paul said? I am pres- looking to present every person complete, teleos, fully mature in Christ, Colossians 1.28. That means spiritually, emotionally, because they're tied together. I want you whole. Let's address the brokenness so you experience the fullness of Christ in every respect in your life. And you're going to find that when you're loving well, you're experiencing the essence of real spirituality. And as we continue to grow in love like this, you know what happens? We're able to express the love of Christ in the ways that God intended. Many of you are familiar with a theologian and pastor by the name of John Stott. Uh, He passed away several years ago. Great man of God. uh, One of the times when he was in Latin America, he was doing some work with theologian Rene Padilla. They were in Argentina. When they arrived in Bariloche, the uh, rain was terrific, and they had mud everywhere, and they had to go through all these muddy streets to finally get to their hotel. And sure enough, they had mud all over their shoes. When Rene wakes up, he wakes up to the sound of a brush going on. He looks, and there is John Stott, of all people, brushing all the mud off his shoes. And Rene runs up to him like, John, what are you doing? You know, he's just a major theologian, great man of God. And Stott goes, hey, my dear Rene, Jesus taught us to wash each other's feet. You do not need me to wash your feet, but I can brush your shoes. And so he did. And so was me. We are to come to a place where we've got maturity. It's not just about us, me. It's about God, Christ, others. But I'll tell you this. More people have been brought into the church through the kindness of real Christian love than by any and all of the theological arguments put together. And I'll also say this. Most people, more people have been driven from the church because of hardness and ugliness by supposed Christians than all the doubt that might be out there. It's like Martin Luther King said. Martin Luther King Jr. Love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. And I think what you're going to find is that the more you and I really love, the more we fully live. Remember what Jesus said? By this, all men will know that you are my disciples. If you what? Anybody know? That's right. If you love one another. A superficial, kind of peck on the back, have a nice life kind of love? Or a love from the heart, sincere, genuine, because you're real. That's the kind of life I'm speaking of. Brian Wilkerson uh, wrote about this uh, tea set that they had inherited. It's like silver tea set they got from grandma. 
my grandmother really wanted us to keep this in the family, and so she had this silver tea set. She had it chemically treated so it would, like, always stay glistening and silver. Real nice like that. Just the one problem with the chemical treatment is that you could never, like, put, like, water into it or hot water or anything like that because it would wreck it, right? So it was meant to be a decoration. Let me ask you, how useful do you think that tea set was? Well, if you just like silver laying around your house, I guess it's pretty good, right? But if you're planning on using it to, like, serve tea to folks, well, not so good, right? I want to tell you something. You're not here on this earth just to be a well-preserved vessel. I know you're real beautiful and very sharp and shiny and all that. But God wants to pour out His love through your life. He wants you to experience the joy of being a vessel fit for honorable use. And if that is going to be true of you and me, then we need sincere, unhypocritical, unhypocritical love. Romans 12, 9.